Welcome to another episode of Focused on Christ, where we're passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm Mike Crump here with Pastor Nathan Smith. On today's episode, we continue our examination of King Saul, and this time we're going to look at David as well. These two kings of Israel who lived and served, they did so in very different ways, and uh, so it really is a great contrast for us. So, Nathan, when you think of Saul, when you think of David, uh, what is the biggest difference that you would you would say is between their leadership and between their lives? King Saul and King David both seem to be warriors in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both had uh, some administrative ability, but mostly they were both sinners. I mean, both of them had huge failings mm. and made mistakes during the course of their reign, during the course of their kingship. Uh, they were not immune to different sins. Saul was uh, not immune to fear of man. He was driven by fear of man. Yeah. And it looks like David had a problem with lust. So they both had besetting sins. Neither one was better, humanly speaking, than the other. Yeah. The key difference, the difference that that matters before all of eternity is that in the midst of his sinfulness, Saul continued to rebel against mm. God and never accepted ownership responsibility or sought the grace and the favor of God. Whereas David continually, again and again, showed himself to be a man after God's own heart, showed a genuine desire and pursuit for Yahweh, yeah. and wanted to follow Yahweh. Even after he committed sins, he humbled himself repented, accepted consequence, and then continued his pursuit of God. Mm. So what is the difference? It was not intrinsic morality. It was simply their disposition towards God. Okay. And that kind of sets the stage for what we're going to see as we walk through several key instances in the life of both David and Saul. Now, we covered Saul, uh, a lot of his life last week, uh, talking through just kind of why did Saul end up in the place he did. Um, And we did see a man who did not seek the Lord. Um, And so this time we're going to see David, and even in his brokenness, we're going to see how God used and established him as a mighty king of Israel. Um, And so it starts at his anointing, just like we talked about Saul's anointing last time and how Saul had was this, the spirit came upon him and he was prophesying and there was a lot of fanfare with with some of that. Um, And then he ended up hiding behind some luggage. But now we're going to look at (laughs) David and it's a little bit of a different scenario. Um, What would you say is the significant difference between the anointing of these two men? Well, the first anointing with Saul, you had Saul who was uh, imposing of appearance, tall, handsome. Everybody said, that's a king. Yeah. Uh, David was described as beautiful and ruddy. Uh, we should not think of him as a child yeah. uh, as opposed to most. So uh, he wasn't like eight uh, no, out there in the field? As opposed to most <laughs> children's books. He's an unmarried youth, which could put him anywhere from, let's say, his late teens all the way up into his 20s. Okay. So I would put him more likely in his early uh, maybe even mid-20s perhaps okay. uh, in terms of his age or late teens, but he's not a child. He's he, he's a man. But he's a man that you wouldn't look at and say, oh, there's a king. And then when Saul goes to anoint, he's looking at all the, all, all the sons of Jesse. Mm-hmm. He's impressed with them. But when he sees uh, David, it doesn't automatically strike him, but the Lord says to him, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Mm. So the key difference is that Saul's heart, not right. David's heart, 
genuinely pursuing Yahweh. Mm. And that's what mattered to God. Yeah. And we also see a, a, a different term. We saw that the Spirit came upon Saul, but we see something different as well in um, 1 Samuel 16, 13. It says, the Spirit rushed upon David. So here we see that upon again from that day forward. So there was a consistency of the Spirit upon David's life. Saul, the Spirit left him, and he didn't know it. Yeah. He was so estranged from communion with God. He did not know that the Spirit had left him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with David, the Spirit came and never left. Yeah. There was a continuance, a continuation by God that continued David, and David himself responded with obedience and humility. And in fact, in the very next verse of uh, chapter 16, not only did the Spirit rush upon David, but then we see just what you were saying, Nathan, was that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, this one is one of those questions or one of those things we read and go, what is going on here? So this is a spirit from the Lord sent to torment him. What, how do we understand this? When we look at this, we have to be careful, and, and this is not God spawning evil okay. or that he has servants that are evil, but this is the allowance of a satanic entity, a demon, to mm-hmm. come upon Saul to it, partially in judgment, uh, judgment to Saul for yeah. his disobedience, but also an appeal to respond and to seek out Yahweh. Mm. We're studying through 1 Timothy right now. In the end of 1 Timothy 1, the Apostle Paul says, Hymenaeus and Alexander have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Yeah. So there's an end goal that even in the handing over to Satan where they're going to experience the hardship, the oppression, even the torment of the demonic realm, the goal is that they will get into that and say, I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. I need help. I need a savior. I need a deliverer. And they'll turn back to God. Even this instance, I believe this is God trying to draw Mm. Saul back. And even the fact that Saul's, the the harmful spirit is assuaged or, 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 you know, removed for a time being when David starts playing the harp, this is a means by which um, this music that is probably, knowing from David's writing all the Psalms, are focused on Yahweh that the presence of Yahweh drives away the darkness. Mm. And even that's a grace of God to Saul, saying, Saul, you can see how the presence of God drives away the darkness, how I offer peace, how I offer Mm. stability, and yet you still refuse it. Mm. I see in this instance God allowing, not spawning, but God allowing, but still for the purpose of trying Mm. to draw Saul back. Saul, is this what you want? Is this the type of destiny you desire? Mm. You want this torment? Because that's what you're asking for. Yeah. And that is what he continually sought after instead of responding to the grace of God. What a helpful way to consider this. Because it, when we read things like this, we do automatically assume, well, man, that seems kind of mean-spirited of the Lord to, to do that. Um, but often we see how God brings people into or allows situations or even here spirits to come into play for the purpose of repentance because in repentance there is wholeness and peace and joy in the Lord yes because the heart is turned towards him um, but we see Saul not knowing what to do and people are like hey David plays a mean harp let's get him and maybe that'll help you know and so 
All right, and it, and it does work. Um, so does does Saul at this point know about David's anointing? That was one thing as you know, I was reading. I was trying to think through the timeline. Um, does he know that David has been anointed? Probably not. Okay, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't think that would be. Again, the scripture doesn't say explicitly, yeah. but I think we can assume no, because we know from Saul's fear of man, if he knows that there's a replacement already lined up, yeah. he would be looking to expel, expunge, kill, get out of the way, yeah. this usurper. Okay. All right. That's, that's what I was thinking, but I was just curious. All right. So next we go on to one of the most popular stories in all of the Bible. It's in every child's book. Um, and so it's something that many people, even those who are not in the church, are familiar with, and that is David and Goliath. So to start us off, what, what's the context of this story? What's going on with uh, Israel? Well, everybody loves a good underdog story, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's so, always great. <laughs> from the 1980s Olympics with the, the U.S. hockey team against, <laughs> against the, the, the big red Russians. David and Goliath. It's yes. David and Goliath. We love that imagery, and we love the story of the underdog. When we look at ancient Israel, the flatlands along the coastal region, the plains of Sharon, and Sharon is, is Hebrew for flat, so okay. it's flat plains. Um, but the flat plain area were colonized by a group of that we call the Sea Peoples. That's what the ancients used to call them. These are the Philistines. These okay. came from across the sea, maybe the Aegean, maybe they're Greeks, maybe the North Africans. We don't know exactly. But they come and they colonize the coastal region. They bring with them their weapons of iron. And this comes at the later part of what's called the Bronze Age mm-hmm. because people normally use bronze. This is uh, These are some of the first iron users, the Philistines. They have chariots of iron. They have weapons of iron. They are numerically and technologically superior in warfare to the Israelites. Mm. But because they were chariot users, which are like the tanks of the ancient world, yeah. those didn't work well up in the hills of Judea. And so they ruled the, the plains. They ruled the trade routes. But the Israelites held the mountainous regions. They, they are the hillbillies, the country bumpkins <laughs> that you didn't fight on their terms because the guerrilla warfare would be nasty. Never seen Israel like that before. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. But what's happening is the Philistines want to constrict and restrain them. Mm. And Israel, still wanting access to trade, still wanting access to those regions that were promised to their fathers, are trying to come out of the hill regions in order to take those areas back. Mm. So what do we find? In this political conflict, we have a battle where the Israelites are on one hill and the Philistines are on another hill and a valley in between them. Mm. Israel is staying up on that hill. Why? Because they know they cannot go toe-to-toe with the Philistines down in the valley Mm. with their chariots and their weapons of iron. The Philistines aren't doing a rush to the hill because he who occupies the high ground has a great military advantage. There's a lot of tactical background that is going on in this story, but... There's this face-off that's happening, and the Philistines want to subdue the Israelites. The Israelites want to push back the Philistines so they can retake these trade routes, have access to the wealth, and reclaim the land that was promised to them uh, through the through the Mount Sinai Covenant. Okay. And so we have these, these two forces gathering together, and there's just a stalemate right now. They're mm-hmm. just sitting up there, basically mocking each other, waiting to see who's going to do the first move. Um, and... We know, um, for those who know the story, um, Goliath comes up and he's cursing Israel and he's basically just trying to tease the people to come on out and everything. Um, when we think about this story, just taking a step back and, and because it's so familiar, what is the primary lesson we're to learn from this story? Um, and, and this is kind of a outside of David's you know, story that we're going to kind of get into the details, but just when we understand David and Goliath, how, how should we understand? Is it just a, 
you know overcome the 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 big mean guy kind of thing <laughs> um, the this is a battle between gods it, it is it is another link in the chain of examples whereby the exodus mm-hmm. with the egyptians and the israelites it wasn't primarily between the egyptians and the israelites it was between yahweh mm. and the pantheon of egyptian gods because it was viewed that whoever won the battle was actually the god who won the battle gotcha this is a culture in which behind the scenes the divine was very real. Mm. That's why the kings, in an earlier episode, we talked about trying to seek out Balaam yeah. and to get his blessing because it was all about whose God is stronger. Gotcha. And so here the Israelites are faced off against the Philistines and the gods of the Philistines. And this is a battle between gods. And here you have this emissary of their god, Goliath, mm. mocking Yahweh, mocking the armies of God. And David sees it for what it is. Mm. David is the one who later says, right, you've not just simply defied us. You've defied God and the armies of the living God. Yeah. Yes, and he he does come into the camp. He sees all this happening, and he starts getting angry at this guy. It's a righteous anger. It is. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And this really kind of speaks to David's heart. His heart, as we've been talking, is for the Lord. He he has a desire to see God elevated and glorified, and so there is just a, man, how dare he do this? Yeah, this is not a patriotic zeal. Mm-hmm. This is not him saying, oh, there's an opportunity for me to get rich and to elevate myself. Or mm-hmm. there's a very popular book that was written about uh, Goliath was this guy with giantism, and really he was slow, and <laughs> David just really believed in himself and saw the advantage, took it, and was able to elevate himself in society and life and it's all because he went on his own initiative wow very very man-centered perspective what david actually sees is that Mm. he's outraged that the name of god is being maligned and that the people of israel don't see it that way yeah you don't see what this philistine is actually saying you're worried about trade routes and wealth and military this is about god Mm. and nobody sees that except him yeah and even saul we we see saul he is his solution is he's, he's holding back in his tent, and he is trying to basically bribe people with wealth, entice them with wealth in order for somebody to do something um, rather than taking kind of the charge. We see, again, fearful yes. of, of what's going to happen here. Um, but even when David is brought before Saul, Saul's response is, hey, you're too small. He's much bigger than you. He's more, you know, battle ready. I mean, you, you, you just don't have a chance. And so there's a human ability focus in Saul's mind, contrary to David, who's just like, he's going against God. Our God is with us. Why aren't we going? And I think, again, shows the heart of David and why his leadership was so much different than, than Saul's. And when we look at this story, there, there's, there's some historical things that are important to note because Saul is seeing from with human eyes Mm -hmm. that this Goliath not only is he huge he's a man of war there's actually an in-detail description of the weapons and the armor that Mm. Goliath is wearing and it says that Goliath has has bronze armor now bronze is light it's moldable so it's perfect for quick movement and quick actions on the battlefield Mm -hmm. it specifically says the head of his spear is made out of iron Mm. now bronze is a softer metal so not great for spears because when you throw that against armor it will dull, it will bend, it won't hold up. But an iron head, which is heavier and harder, will pierce mm. bronze armor. 
So he is equipped with the best technology, militarily speaking, that that day and age can offer. And Saul sees only that. He sees only the obstacle. He sees that Goliath is an obstacle that cannot be overcome. And even his answer to it, when David finally comes forward, is, Mm -hmm. well, take my armor. Yeah. He's trying to answer the problem with worldly means instead of bowing the knee and saying, this battle belongs to you, Lord, we need your help. Yeah. I confess that this is very easy for me to do. Absolutely. And I think there is a part of, you know, at this time, obviously, he's looking at the physicality of things. And I think in our day and age, because of we're, we're children of the Enlightenment, we, we, we think, and therefore that's how we understand how to respond to everything, um, it is easy to immediately think into the physical and say, well, what A, B, and C needs to happen in order to come, rather than coming to the Lord in kind of the first response and seeking guidance and seeking wisdom and um, but, you know, coming before him and petition you know, for these things. Yeah, here in the States, in the Western culture, we have a double whammy effect, mm-hmm. and that is we're children of the Enlightenment, as you said, that we think, therefore, we are, mm-hmm. we can do it, mixed with um, the American mindset of there's no mountain we can't conquer, yeah. the can-do-it, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And so when we face an obstacle, the first thing we do is, I can do it, I can overcome, and you mix that with just natural human pride. Yep. I mean, my goodness. Sometimes even in church, in the Christian life, the last thing we do is pray. The last thing we do is seek the Lord's help. We only do that as a last resort after everything we've tried has failed. (laughs) Instead of going to the Lord first and seeing the battle for what it is and that the primary battle. Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and Mm. blood, but against powers, against these cosmic entities. What does David do? He comes to this battle, and everybody else sees flesh and blood. Mm. What does David see? David sees a cosmic war between powers and authorities, and he is the only one that sees that Yahweh can win the day. Amen. And we talked about in our last episode the faithlessness of Saul. But here in David's response in chapter 17 He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So we have just David's bold faith that says, my God is a God who can deliver me from some animals. He can deliver me from this guy, you know? And so there's just a a boldness there that I, I know for me just encourages me to long for that same kind of boldness, even in, I may not be facing giants, but there are obstacles in life and things that we deal with here that God has equipped us to overcome because of Christ. And isn't it interesting that he attributed those previous victories to God? Yeah. He didn't say, I, I, I. He said, the Lord delivered me. Mm. He puts himself in a passive category. Yeah. The Lord delivered him. He's proven his faithfulness before. He will prove his faithfulness again. Amen. So David defeats Goliath, as we know, and he is celebrated and just great victory for David. Um, and this has echo effects into this next section we're going to look at, and this will be kind of our finest, uh, final section of Saul and David we're going to look at, but that is David sparing Saul's life. So we have Saul who responds in jealousy and rage and begins seeking out David to kill him mm-hmm. um, out of just this the jealous rage. 
and we see David hiding out in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now, you guys just got back from there. One of my favorite places, because you can go to En Gedi, you can see the scriptures come alive, you can even see some caves where maybe one of the events that took place where Saul wanted to relieve himself and David snuck up on him. You can see just how the landscape makes the story come alive and make sense. Yeah, it is a beautiful landscape. Um, It is. And so just a, a gorgeous place to be. So, but we know that Saul, and again, I just, this is, this gets to the heart of who Saul was and and the struggle that he had. In chapter 18, we see, it says, the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000 and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And again, this goes back to what you were saying. Saul has something about people and fear of people, fear of man and how they perceive him. And here it's coming out with rage. Envy, jealousy, and rage. Yeah. So that leads to Saul going to En chasing after David. He goes to relieve himself, to use the restroom. And David is right there. And he can, in a moment, take Saul out. In fact, David's men who are with him say, hey, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall be good to you. So David gets up, he cuts a piece off of Saul's robe. Um, Even that tugged at his heart that he had done something wrong. But this begs a question, would would David have been justified in killing Saul? I mean, this was a self-defense in a way. He's trying to protect himself from being killed. Is there a justification in this? Humanly speaking, yeah. yes. Okay. But the thing that made David a man after God's own heart is was he he is was. <laughs> he saw events not for their flesh and blood reality, mm. but the spiritual significance behind it. Gotcha. He did not ask nor seek for kingship, but God bestowed it upon him. What right did he have in his own timing to take it upon himself? Mm. The Lord gave it. The Lord will give it at his proper timing. It is his will. It is his right, not mine. Mm. For him, that simple act of justifying himself, humanly speaking, would have been taking upon himself a prerogative that belonged only to God. Mm. The timing belongs to God, and I will wait for his timing even in hardship and rejection and pursuit of my enemies, yeah. I will wait on God's timing. And do you not see that in the Psalms when, when David writes about, uh, I will wait upon the Lord, oh, I'm going to wait for his timing, mm. waiting for his justice. Now, he writes even in the Psalms, Lord, where are you? Yeah, I'm waiting for your deliverance. Yeah. There's very real human emotions, but at the same time he is saying, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm mm. trusting in your timing and your purpose and your plans. Humanly speaking, justified, Yes. In terms of spiritual realities and godliness, no. That was God's right and prerogative, and David recognized it as such. Mm. And we see that in his very words. Um, He says, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So there was a high view of God's anointing of Saul, even though Saul was walking in rebellion against God himself. Mm-hmm. David saw that anointing as he is God's chosen person at this time. And so he respected that and submitted to it. And that's hard for us because when we see rogue leadership, when we see rogue authority, when we see those who maybe are not walking in step with 
the Lord, it is hard for us to submit to that. We want to find ways to rebel against some of that. And yet, Scripture talks about authorities and kings and those who've been placed into leadership, particularly and specifically by the providence of God, yeah. and that we're called to respect and to honor them, to be long-suffering. And that is something that is not always first on our minds and thoughts. Mm. We want immediate justice. We might even be justified, humanly speaking. Yeah. We may yeah. have been wronged. But how do we, like the heart of David, be willing to suffer rejection to wait on the Lord's perfect timing? Mm. Let's translate this all the way to Christ. Yeah. Was not Christ justified? Could he and should he have called down those legions of angels in Gethsemane and just destroyed his enemies off the bat? Yeah. Should he not? Could he, and maybe could a case be made that he was right in doing so? Yeah. And the answer is yes, 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 yes. But what did he do? He withheld, and he waited on the Father's timing. Mm. It wasn't easy. He called out, let this cup pass for me, but Lord, your will be done. Yeah. And it was the Father's goodness and timing to kill Christ on the cross, his only son, in order that from the sacrifice of Christ would come a harvest of true righteousness and redemption of people that would be redeemed. Mm. Even the heart of Christ is seen in putting off personal rights and what I deserve in order for the sake that God be honored and glorified in his timing. Amen. Even in this waiting on the Lord, there is, again, the faith of David to believe in a God who is able to bring justice— who is able to make things right and who is able to pass on the kingship in a, in a means that would glorify him. And so I, I find that one of those things that it's just challenging because we long for immediacy. And there's part of us that believes, I think falsely, that if it doesn't happen now and if it doesn't happen maybe at my hand, it's never going to happen. Right. But that is why the Lord tells us, vengeance is mine, therefore don't respond in vengeance. Exactly. Respond in love and grace and mercy. Um, but, man, that's hard at times. <laughs> oh, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> All right. So what does, just as we close here, what do we learn from Saul and David? Saul and David is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And we see, again, that they are not perfect. They both have their sin issues. But the difference is, is that David was willing to submit his life, even in mistakes Mm. to the Lord and how quick the Lord was to forgive and to show grace and mercy. There were consequences of sin because just as God has ordained a a, a physical universe where gravity takes effect if you you jump off a cliff, Mm -hmm. where we live in a moral universe that you violate those moralities, that there are consequences uh, to violating his holiness. But God does not visit his judgment upon David in its fullness. Why? Because David's heart belongs to God. And we mm. see that again and again. Amen. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. Saul was willing to give all the sacrifices and do all the things, but not because his heart was right. He wanted to get what he wanted out of God. David said, I've got nothing to offer God but a broken heart. Will you accept it? And God says, absolutely. And I restore you. Amen. Amen. Nathan, thanks again. Uh, What a great thing to consider, the life of David, especially in contrast to Saul. Well, next week, we're going to take a break from the biblical narrative, and we're going to open up the Psalms and talk about the importance of lament in the Christian life. I would encourage you to join us for this episode because godly sorrow 
is really more important than many of us think. And so it's going to be a helpful discussion and prayerfully it'll be an encouragement for you. Till then, remember that you can find all our episodes and also our video podcasts, articles, and more at FocusedOnChrist.com. 